Welcome to an all new episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. I am your host, Lisa Ann, and glad to be in your ears. Thank you so much for making my podcast part of your day. 2022 has been such an incredible jump to the power of positive thought. To those who inspire, guest after guest, I've been working diligently to bring you conversations that I think will pique your curiosity, inspire you to maybe try something new. I love the chat with Crystal Stokes. If you haven't listened to it, please go back. She is a certified life coach and psychotherapist with some great tips on setting small goals and 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 reaching that next level of just feeling complete and happy. Last week, Chris Hansen to catch a predator. Boom. I mean, what a guest. I was so happy to have him as well. And today, another great conversation coming your way. But before that, let's catch up on a couple of things. Now that fantasy football season is over, I actually live a little. I have a little bit more free time, actually a lot more free time, like 40 hours a week that I was spending with fantasy football is now mine again. And I'm enjoying it, whether it's conversations with friends, uh, whether it's getting out and about with friends or doing what I'm about to tell you I did one night last week on my couch for three hours straight. The last three episodes of Power Book 2. And I watched them back to back. Now, for those of you who know me, I don't really watch a lot of violence on television. I don't watch any violence. I like uplifting things. I like fun things. I like lighthearted comedy, rom-com, give it to me, feed it to me. I love it. But there's something about the story that 50 Cent is telling in the series. It starts with Power, then it goes Power Book, then Power Book 2. Now we're getting on to Tommy in February, and I cannot wait. But I will say, I was so shooketh after watching three hours straight, it felt great. Like no interruptions, no commercials, just, just, I was so in. It was like seeing a three hour movie and the storylines and the violence again, but man, rocked my core. I didn't move. I didn't get up for snacks. I didn't do anything. As each episode ended, I was like, do you have to use the restroom? If not, just stay right here. Just, just staring, just glued. So captivating. The writing, the storytelling, the wardrobe, the consistency with the era, which was in the 90s, the everything. Mary J. Blige, ooh, you are killing it in this series. And now we don't know what's going to happen to her, but we will soon see. So I had to share that with you. I've been enjoying just the little pleasures. It's winter. This is when we get to sit and chill and catch up on TV shows or watch things, enjoy things. So I finished Power Book 2. It was game-changing. Also, I will say that we now know, we now know who will be playing in SoFi Stadium for the Super Bowl. We now know that two years in a row, an NFL team, for the first time in history, last year was the first time in history an NFL team played a Super Bowl in their home stadium. That used to be a thing. The books, the the bookmakers, the betters, they'd be like, oh, you can't, you know, the you can't pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. It's in their own stadium. No team has ever gone. Well, two years in a row now because the Los Angeles Rams will be taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, the Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. I mean, this is incredible. The age difference between Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow, the everything we now know. 
these last two weekends of football, it's exciting. When fantasy football season ends, I get this like, oh, now I just get to watch games without emotion. See, it's emotional. You put in a player, you look at your lineup, and you tinker back and forth, tinker back and forth, tinker back and forth so many times that by the time the game starts, one of the players gets in the end zone, and you're like, which one did I put in my lineup? Then you go and you look. It's either the right or the wrong one. That can set the tone for your entire day. Try doing that in 25 leagues. It is, it is like emotional cutting. It is painful. It is brutal. So these last two weekends of just like watching games and enjoying them and not really caring about the outcome. I haven't been making betting picks. I've just been a fan. It has been truly delightful. Absolutely delightful. I've loved every single bit of it. When I'm not watching football or catching up on power, you know, I'm filling orders for my new book, The Life Back. You can get it on my store at shoplisaann.com. That's going to take you into my store and you're going to hit shop and you're going to see my first book there, The Life, my second book there, The Life Back. And I've also had some time for some incredible conversations about what journey, what adventure, what's up for me next. Stay tuned. That's what I tell myself. What's up for you next? You don't even have to stay tuned because I got it right here, another author. I love that I get books and I love that I get books autographed from authors because as an author, it's just amazing. And here is my autograph. The book is the curveball. The autograph says, Dear Lisa, go Cowboys. I hope this book brings you as much joy and inspiration. Sincerely, Colby. My guest is getting ready to join us right here. That is Colby Sharma. You can look up The Curveball on Amazon. An awesome cover-to-cover -cover read for me and an awesome conversation for you. Today I am sitting here holding on to a book that I did the cover-to-cover -cover read and absolutely loved, and I know you will too. I'm sitting with the author of this masterpiece. The book is The Curveball, and I'm joined by Colby Sharma today to talk all about the inspiration behind the book and the contents and the lessons. Colby, thanks so much for joining me here today. Lisa, my pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Well, I, I love the book and I love the new style of writing where we do want people not to close the book multiple times. We want you to stay engaged and, and really, really stick with it, which was easy for me because it was an, a very well-written written book. Thank you. What gave you the inspiration first and foremost to write The Curveball? You know, I was in, inspired primarily because of uh, the challenges that I went through, uh, you know, early in my life in the teenage stage. But like so many people going through, you know, challenges right now. I'd say the second thing was I, I've I love sports all my life. You know, having played baseball, um, basketball, I, I love sports. And and the, really the vital message that they help society convey, they really help heal society in many ways. So I wanted to, to bring the best of sports and, and sports psychology lessons with personal development um, called self-help. 
I mean, it's a great tie-in because those of us who are fans of sports can be incredibly inspired and motivated by the little stories that are narrated to us as a player goes up to pitch, you know, his first game. You know, you learn about their family and you learn about the struggles that maybe they went through. I think the NFL draft is a great example. You get a backstory on every player. And I know for me, sports have also kept me healthy, doing the right Mm -hmm. thing, in a rhythm, so it can continuously watching. So you tie in an amazing story here. How did you come up with the characters in this story? So, you know, Bryce Holloway's name, his real name was Greg before. So I came up with the name Bryce after I was inspired by Bryce Harper, uh, an all-star player from the Nationals. And I wanted to really take these guys at the top end of the games and take them down a notch and really see what makes them, you know, when their backs are up against the wall, how are they? How do they perform, you know, when push is going to shove? I mean, we see in the book, you know, Bryce is in a catharsis as we begin the book. And it's great to see his progression as he started to rebuild himself from the bottom. Yeah, the progression is incredible and stories and conversations that he's having with himself because of the advantages that he had that he almost threw away. Mm -hmm. And that's a great narrative for you. And I know you wanted to put that in there for a specific reason. What was that reason to show what it's like for somebody before they think they're facing? Because when he gets his two weeks notice, he might be going back to the minors. That is not a good feeling. You're back to riding a bus and sharing a room. Yeah. I I wanted to bring that in to show that, you know, we all have those moments when, you know, like Al Pacino said in every, in any given Sunday, it's a game of inches. It's a game of inches. And it's about how tactful and how mindful we are, you know, when we are faced with a moment of adversity, how we build stronger from there, what we do, how we feel, uh, how we respond physiologically, mentally to the moment. Because so many people, when they're faced with a moment of adversity, just want it to go away, just want to be done with the moment. They don't want to be introspective. And I I think to echo where Bryce is at where we begin the book, you know, the biggest battle we face is ultimately with ourselves. And we can take this back to Freud because there's a tension between the heroic self and the egoic self. And we see Bryce in a daily battle with his ego as he fights to avoid relegation. And as you study the power of the mind, you realize the ego is really, truly the greatest enemy. Absolutely. And that's what Bryce is up against in this. Now, as he has the moments, Bryce is thinking about the fact that he has to go home and tell his significant other a very common scenario when people have dealt with, oh no, you know, I'm losing grip on this success. You really lay out in the curveball every thought that we will have as we're faced with. When he goes out into the park at night and sits there alone, now this beautiful story begins. How long did it take you to develop these characters, these conversations, and the repeated thread of how they land in a photo in his boss's office? You know, it was took me a long time to really get right. You know, I, I began writing the book um, when I was a first year law student. I was home for the summer, and I remember I was just writing. I was 
I was be where I was inspired, you know, next to my dad, uh, my at my home in a backyard. But I would intentionally write every chance I got, whether it was on the subway to work or whether it was, you know, going somewhere. I was constantly using the best of those opportunities. In terms of ha- how I created the characters and how they ended up in the picture, well, when I was faced with the challenges that I was faced with when I was um, a teenager, so many people were there for me. So many people were there for me, whether they knew it or not. But I knew that they were there for me. And it's one of these things where we're seeing it you know, years after the fact, but we don't know, wow, this person had this much impact on me. I mean, taken back to grade 10, I didn't do as well as I'd liked in my grade 10 grammar exam. And, you know, my teacher just wrote me off, didn't see my potential. And I wanted to find a way to really say, no, here is my potential. And it's only when I was able to go through the challenges that that became easier to express and easier for me to understand. I love that you have this personal story behind this because it makes perfect sense. Now you started writing this then how many years ago and when did you pick it back up to finish it? I started writing five and a half years ago, summer 2016. Okay. I, it was on pause. The funny thing is it was on a PDF all the years in the, in between on my laptop until COVID hit. And I'm like, okay, okay. Now this is a once in a lifetime curveball. Let me show how I can help people build better lives and build back better to use Joe Biden's iconic phrase. <laughs> uh, th- that's right. I mean, you said it right there. This is the ultimate curveball. And you saw it that way. As a sports fan, you're not afraid of the curveball, right? You understand it's one of the pitches. Um, so you looked at this and you didn't let it set you back. You looked at it as, oh, this is an opportunity. There's more quiet around me, which is a great time to write. I finished my second book during the pandemic as well, because there's no clutter, right? You're not getting invited to a thing. You know, you're not like distracted by little stuff. I really didn't want to watch the news. And for you, that was probably the perfect time to develop the story. So though the book was on pause, it was on a PDF on your laptop from start at pandemic to finish. How long did it take you? Because this thing is already out. It took me, so the book was published October, 2020. So it took me five and a half months. Holy moly. Five and a half months. You powered through. You were dedicated. You wrote five days a week, every day. Yeah, just every day because we were in lockdown, right? In, in, In Toronto. So there was nothing else to do. So I just had the time to just edit and give it to others and just edit and you know, I was very grateful for the support I got from the beta readers that I had because they provided very insightful uh, feedback for the manuscript. Like one person said, you know, the injury Bryce was facing, that's too unrealistic. So take that out and have a different injury. I'm just like, okay, that's very good feedback. Explain that. Explain to my listeners what beta readers are. Beta readers are the group of support readers that you have with you, family or friends, that give you unsolicited and solicited feedback on the manuscript because you don't want to operate in a silo. You want to always get people's feedback and advice. 
And that feedback you got right there was unbelievable about Bryce's injury. I mean, that right there, but I got to give you credit. I mean, you did not miss an opportunity with the pandemic because then you had to go through kind of the publishing battle, which could be tricky when for some reason we were told here there was a paper shortage. I don't know if you had that in Canada as well, but there was definitely a worker shortage. You know, it was definitely more difficult. So what challenges did you face or did you land in kind of a sweet spot between big peaks in the pandemic? I think the, the pandemic was great for me to build the, from the self-publishing standpoint. And then I was very grateful to be, um, to get in contact with the publisher and then it was an iterative process. Uh, the edition you're holding is the Indian edition. So that's exclusively sold in the Indian subcontinent. But it's also no way. around the world as well. Yeah. So I got this unique copy. Where is everybody else going to get their copy? Amazon. Okay. Amazon. Simple. Uh, but they won't I get theirs autographed like thing. I did. This is fit. Oh, I like actual, you know, I love the real books, but Amazon. Okay, great. So you went through these things with your 10th grade grammar teacher. Does grammar teacher have a copy of this book? She will. She will. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably watching this right now. Watching my other she has to. I mean, because this is this is not just what you do, but this is who you are and you want to share. And I think we all want to be inspired, but it's sometimes harder to be inspired by somebody who has had a truly gifted life and has never faced adversity and, and got to do all the things they wanted to do, right? You put them on a TED Talk and you're like, okay, but you put the woman who was in a homeless shelter and started a business and became a millionaire on a TED Talk and we are all ears. So you've taken your life experience, you've poured it into this incredible story, what books inspired you and what history of books do you have in your life, Colby? What books inspired me? The Alchemist, Hard Things About Hard Things by uh, Ben Horowitz. I love how his advice about, you know, hiring, building a great team. In terms of fictional books, has to be the Harry Potter series. Has to be the Harry Potter series. I mean, you, you can't grow up in, in my generation and not go to the book events with the hats and the wizardry and the robes. Has to be there. So that's my definitely my all-time fictional series. Uh, you need to go to the Oxford Union since you're now in London and it's not too far yeah. for you because they did shoot a bit of it there. You can get photos That's by like nice. the tree. When I went to the Oxford Union, believe it or not, I had never yet read Harry Potter or watched Harry Potter. Yeah. And my liaison who's touring me around is saying, well, this is from this seat of Harry Potter. And I thought to myself, why didn't you do this research? Why didn't you watch this series before you came here? I just had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Now you... You also work with people further through your digital newsletter, the Curveball Digital Newsletter. How does this work and what do you offer to your followers? So the newsletter is um, gives you advice that I'm that I have kind of stream of consciousness advice, but I also have a coaching program through my website, the Scouting Report. So everything is just kind of like on brand, but the scouting report really totally on brand. The scouting report is an awesome name. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was hard to come up with, but the scouting report is really helping you see where you're going right now. How can we help optimize you and celebrate your strengths and just come together in an exclusive setting with myself for one hour. This has to be a pretty rewarding process, right? You start with somebody and then what's it like when you are able to look at them and give a final report card? 
it's it's uplifting. It's uplifting. You know, everything I, I've kind of seen so far, the responses have been, you know, I wouldn't be able to have seen this had I not joined the scouting report. So, you know, I really just changed the offering. So I'll be working. We have a, a 30-day package. And every single day in those 30 days, I'm going to sit with someone. And if your listeners are want that or are interested in that, so that would be cool. Yeah, that would be really cool because the way this story wraps up that I love so much is when Bryce is back on top and realizes what an opportunity he has. And it's not the opportunity that you think. You you think he's going to go right back into falling into his successful baseball career, but no, Mm -hmm. he realizes he is more beneficial to the world to help other athletes get out of their own rut. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think I love the I love stories where it comes full circle, the real the hero's journey approach. You start from one end, you, you're faced with adversity, you know, you're meeting the mentor, you're learning the tactics, you're learning the rituals, you're learning the habits, you're all, all that the lessons. And then you take it and you channel it towards something for the greater good, bigger than yourself. Yeah. I mean, that was an unexpected curveball for me in the book, which I love though, because there's a need for it. And he already discovered Bryce in the story already discovers that there's such a need. He was aware enough to listen to the mentors that were talking to him. And he gathered so much information through that, that now as one person, he can share it with others. It's a big thing, you know, with athletes and getting into a rut and seeing sports psychologists like I have a hard time watching a very important kick in the NFL. Like if this is a kick that can win or lose you a playoff game or a Super Bowl, I just want to look away the pressure of a kicker. And when they get into a rut, that's the first thing they do is see a sports psychologist. It's huge. I mean, we saw that last week. I think it was the Rams that, um, that, that one, uh, my guy TB is out. Unfortunately, I wanted to see them win the ring this year, but you know, tweet to someone else, but no. So who Go ahead. If I had to say who would I want, uh, probably the Rams. To win in their home stadium like the Bucks did last year for the first time ever in NFL history. Now this is kind of a thing which is going to throw off bookmakers and odds makers and bettors because they're going to think this is a thing. But uh, the Joe Burrow situation, this is so great for Cincy. He grew up two hours from there. I love him as a young player. He came back strong this year after a serious, serious injury. He's playing with a college teammate in Jamar Chase. Like, to me, here we go with another narrative, right? Another sports story. But if you're a sports fan, yep. these things are adrenaline pinching. Like I called into a show the other day. was asking like a sports moment yes. that made me cry. And it was yeah. the last time um, that Tiger Woods won the Masters. It was on Father's Day. They showed the photo of him with his dad. Now he's there with his son. Like I was losing it. Th- that was a beyond inspirational comeback when Tiger did that. You know, I mean, I watched uh, the uh, the Australian Open and how Rafael Nadal, you know, beat um, yeah. Lebedev. And just brilliant. Like, you look at those comebacks and you look at, you know, how they're framed in, in pop culture with the Rudys. You look at, you know, the great comebacks. You look at, you know, what the Giants did to the Patriots way back when. I think that was in 07, 08. And you see how sports really has the cultural 
tempo of society, how we're all so invested. And there's never been a bigger bonding moment than sports and, and the medium that it can help change. And, you know, we, we look at rallies and teams going on a run and we see a player that we think is in a rut and what you talk about in the curveball and the examples and how you're working with people with the scouting report. Um, you see it a lot. You see people that feel defeated. You can't feel defeated. You have to move on to the next play, the mm -hmm. next day, whatever the next thing is for you. And it must be great for you now to be able to use these analogies, especially when you're working with people who love sports and help them get over that hump because it's, it happens to people. Something gets stuck in them that they feel defeated them. What's your keys in offering people how to move away from that feeling of defeat? The defeat, I'd say, is like an artificial construct. You know, there, there's no such thing as like perpetual defeat. I mean, we can face adversity in the moment, but the mo it's a moment of perception, though. It's momentary. It's nothing fixed in, in stone. So I'd say that's the kind of the first kind of thing I'd share with them. I'd say the, the second thing is, you know, we, we're especially when you get to the level that, you know, the greats play at, the TBs play at, the Aaron Rodgers play at, you know, Randy Moss played at, you know, so especially when you get to that kind of level. And I, I read this in um, Letters to a Young Athlete by Chris Bosch from the Miami Heat. And he's like, when you get to that level, you face adversity over and over and over again. So it's habitualized. So we need to habitualize it. We know that when we came from the AAUs, when we came from you know, triple A, double A, single A, it's all the same thing, just at the different stages though. So I think, you know, one of my goals this year is I'd love to work even closer with, with athletes, you know, the base, uh, basketball players, you know, played basketball or been around the game and huge fan of it. But we need to see that from that perspective to shift that. I'd say what I'll, what I'll also say is, you know, as I, um, if this is a good time to go into the lessons in the book, it's themselves. We need to surrender, you know, outer perfection. And I'd say the facade of outer perfection and embrace inner reflection to really say, you know, um, we take this from Viktor Frankl, between the stimulus and the response, therein lies our freedom. So between the first quarter and the second quarter and, and every kind of the plays in, in that, when you're running like a, a full court press or, you know, um, God forbid you do a Hail Mary, but these little actions that you do within it, yeah, it can really help shift the outcome, the next play, the next carry, the next scrimmage. And that is exactly why your first lesson in the curveball is one base at a time. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. one base yeah. at a time is the key. And that is so, so embedded by the time you get to the second lesson, choose your pitches, explain. So choosing your pitches is really saying, you know, between the stimulus and the response, therein lies our freedom. You know, we don't have to choose in this re constantly reactive mode. I think the pandemic has really made people very, very reactive, reacting to externalities that they can't necessarily con control. You know, what's the next strain of Omicron? Is Omicron going to bring, you know, more fear into us? Yes. Well, we, we don't really know. 
Right. So between the stimulus, between the response, we can hone how we think, how we feel, and how we can act. I mean, that's proven if we look at, you know, um, this is a, um, Dr. Leslie Becker Phelps, PhD. She said, you know, what is the origin theory of the response? If you're feeling scared, if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling ashamed, break it down with you. You know, we know this tactic of journaling, breaking it down and saying, where did this come from in my life to make me act in this way right now? You know, one of the best lessons I got years ago uh, seeing a speaker was give yourself 24 hours to make major decisions. And it's okay to say, I will get back to you in 24 hours. But we often make emotional decisions in the positive or the negative. And I will say that just like writing down my thoughts over the 24 hour span. Now, normally when something's a yes, you can't wait to do it. um, You jump at it right away. But it's still good to ask yourself, why am I jumping at that? Is there an instant gratification that maybe is going to, am I going to miss a friend's wedding if I take this gig? Like, you know, to weigh it out. Those little things help. Those are incremental little lessons I learned over life. And the funny thing is you really don't calm down till you're a bit older. And a lot of my younger friends come to me in like a panic with a very reactive response to something. And they know not to respond to anything until they come to me. And so I will just bounce back and forth the pros and the cons of their response. And usually a day or two later, they'll reach out and they'll go, man, I'm so over it. I'm so glad I didn't react that way. I'm so glad I didn't respond that way because it would have been counterproductive. And it's just, you know, you kind of want to hide your cards until you actually know what's in your hand. And I think we could easily be pressured. Um, maybe you're not feeling well that day. Maybe you're a little bit hungry. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're overwhelmed, but those aren't good times to make decisions. If you look at what you want to do, and you're, you're judging on that for a moment. You're saying, okay, should I do this? Should you not do that? Think of yourself as the opposite. What would you not do to get to where you want to go in the positive light? Like just, just think on that and slow that down and see what answers you come up with. After we go one base at a time and we choose our pitches, and by the way, So, you know, Colby, I didn't get into baseball like for real until 2015. And the reason I did it was because I wanted to stay on air all year. And when I was only covering fantasy football, I couldn't. So I really started to study baseball and I became obsessed with the relationship between the catcher and the pitcher. Because if you don't understand baseball, it seems like nothing's going on, right? You're waiting. Yeah. You're not waiting. They're communicating as well as the batter is trying to feel some sort of a tell, you know, am I going to, and so like once I fell in love with that. So when I read this book, of course I was like, and number three, we're going to go to right here is remember your rituals. You know, the remembering your rituals is really saying the rituals are, um, triggers, their, their tells, their really deep setted ways of, of being and, and acting and practices that help trigger your higher performance self that really helps switch it on and, and switch it off. But you can really say that, you know, between the stimulus, between all the other stuff, that's how you can help ignite yourself. The thing I I share in the book though, is it's not so much sometimes creating a new ritual 
but it's remembering your old rituals. And if you look at it in, in a bridge, what was your old self grateful for? What was your old self would like you to do in this moment? You know, going to the literature, by uh, there's a piece by Dr. Scott Bernardo on the restorative power of ritual. And basically it's about how the smallest, littlest of actions that you might think not have an impact actually do have an impact on your performance and how you're willing to get the most out of it. And athletes are the perfect example of this all the way down to like what time they'll eat, you know, their sleep time, how they're doing things. I was listening to a great pregame show and an athlete was being interviewed that had been to the Super Bowl a couple of times. And, and, and so the host asked him like, what's that day like? And he's like, well, you know, it depends if you're the early game or the late game, but they just start feeding you right away. When you get on the, the team plane or the team bus, they put food in front of you. And then yeah. when you get to the hotel, there's more food because they just want you to have as many calories in you. So yeah. you don't, you, cause you're already more anxious. So you're already burning more calories. So he's like, yeah, they're feeding you and feeding you. You, you can easily put on 15 pounds that day in because of all the food. They're, yes. Because <laughs> with all the food they're giving them, but they're yeah. trying to keep them in their ritual from overthinking a new, a new scenario. Like Joe Burrow in yesterday's game could have overthought. Whereas Patrick Mahomes couldn't because he's already been in that scenario multiple times. This is just a story playing out in front of them. He knows the script. Joe Burrow didn't. So there's more doubt for that. No ritual. You, you haven't done this before. You don't have a ritual yet, but he just stuck with his game day ritual, which is the same for every game, no matter if it is preseason or the Super Bowl. Exactly. The, the best ritual I love is LeBron James with the chalk in the air. I mean, it's, it's so eye-catching, but it's so Im important that helps him say, Here's I'm here. I am right now, and I'm going to own it. I'm going to own everything. Yes. Yep. He's uh, he's an incredible athlete as well. And then adversity is a team sport. This is uh, Spooky's Rules for Grit. Adversity is a team sport. Let's talk about it. Sometimes we lose sight of what matters the most when we need it the most. You know, who we get to the, sometimes this stage and it's this person might not be as important because I'm at this stage right now. And it's kind of, you know, ingrained kind of forgetting who made us to get to where we are and saying it's a, it goes to the, the phrase. I mean, let the rising tide lift all boats. You know, the janitor in where we begin the book, he imparted lessons to Bryce, you know, the guy that made the Gatorade bottles cold, they helped in your performance because you need them after every quarter when you need time to hit the bench for a rest. So it's not letting it's keeping the ego in check. And it's not letting you forget that everyone is important. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you look at the great leaders from the past, I mean, I love the last dance. Michael Jordan is by far, you know, if I had to say it, that's, that's my goat, but. Um, yeah, of course. I would be right there with you. I love the last, the last dance and how he relentlessly took the bulls faced with adversity against the Pistons how relentless he was in getting them to the next level. And we saw that through all six. You know, it could be Steve Kerr. It could be um, Scotty. It could be every single player. Every, even the bit players, Luke Longley, others, saying you all have a part to play to help us get to the next level. 
He's my goat as well. I've read every single book written about Michael Jordan um, because his level of tenacity is fascinating. His grit and the way he would just go in and shoot. And I love to hear stories about athletes like Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. Like this year, every single Rams player that was interviewed has said, no matter how early you get to the facility, you will never get there earlier than Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. Look at the season they've had. They've been getting to the facility at 5 a.m. Everybody else rolls in 7.30, 8 o'clock. That is their time, and look what a difference it made. They have only worked together for one season, but they knew it was going to be repetitive. They also knew that it's a team sport. Mm -hmm. They also knew they had to put the work in. They had to have these rituals together, and I just love hearing every Rams player be asked that and go, nope, haven't beat them there yet. They're there every morning that early. You could you could tell – you know, the likeness in, in the other person because it's a reflection of yourself. You know, Cooper responded because he saw what he saw in Matt, in himself. So that's why there was some asynchronicity going on. It was great. It was incredibly great. I love your work here. Uh, this was a great book. And, and Colby, I'll be recommending everybody reads it oh, because much. it is great. I think you're right. You know, you mentioned the pandemic. You know, there's been a power struggle, right? You looked at it as a, as an opportunity to do something. And I think other people, it stagnated them. So are you seeing more of that in the people that are coming to you of how to pull out of that feeling of being stagnant? Totally. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, stagnation, you know, how do I respond? How do I get my, my head, my mind, how do I feel about the curveball? You know, because there's so much coming at us. There's so much external information. You know, we don't know how to make that choice. And really the curveball, especially lesson two and three, is going to be instrumental in helping you make that choice, you know, see what's around the corner. And as I share it to end the book, we succeed because of adversity, not in spite of it. We succeed because of adversity, not in spite of it. Sometimes we need to be taken a step back. Sometimes we do need to face relegation. I mean, one of the greatest sporting comebacks that I've ever seen, and I was a first-year law student, was when Leicester City won the British Premier League in 2015-2016. They faced relegation and in the championship two seasons before winning the league. Everyone wrote them off. They were 5,000 to 1 odds to win the British Premier League, competing with the Giants, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United. But they did it. They did it because at some level, they knew that that adversity built them into the juggernaut coming together, playing great football, soccer, that they, were, that they would use to get to the higher level. They didn't give up. They didn't give Absolutely. up on themselves. They didn't give up on each other. And I think that's the most important thing there is not giving up, not letting yourself get wrapped up by what everybody's saying around you. You said they were written off. You cannot listen to those voices. You think Michael Jordan listened to those voices. You think, you know, these other players, you think Tom Brady at 40, when he was only 40, listened to those voices. There were broadcasters saying he's too old to play football. He sure showed them wrong. He continued to play at a high level and not only play at a high level. I admire Tom Brady so much for his leadership ability, for how players feel about being in his presence, um, for his just optimal health and ideas yep. and concepts. And 
for the players he's helped. You know, look, it didn't work out with AB, but yep. he did a lot for AB for quite a period of time. That's the most consistent we'd seen AB in a couple of seasons, and I give Tom Brady a lot of credit for that. I give you a ton of credit for finishing a book that you started during college and all my listeners to go out there, read it, and follow you. Colby, everybody can find you where? I'd like to share a few final notes on that. So people can find the book on, on Amazon worldwide, ebook, paperback, and audiobook. Audiobook in your voice? It's unfortunately not. I wanted No, you didn't use your voice. One. Maybe for the <laughs> second one. Maybe for the second one. Okay. If they want to follow me on Instagram at Colby Sharma Official, Facebook, the Curveball 426. Um you can sign up for my mailing list, the newsletter at colbysharma.com. Finally, a few things. I am available for public speaking. So I speak to organizations. I speak to individuals on how to become better, how to overcome curveballs, especially at this time when so many people need this advice. I also like to would like to work more closely with, with athletes, especially in the NBA, because it's a huge sport that I follow, Toronto Raptors. I love to work with the New York Knicks, the Maple Mamba, RJ Barrett. I'm a huge fan of your work. So that's it. I love it. That's all great stuff. I know. And I will also make sure that everybody has all of your contact information when I load this up on you, my YouTube channel. But Colby, thank you for writing such a powerful and inspiring book. Everyone go out and get your hands on the curveball. And thank you for your time today. Lisa, thank you so much. This was a great honor. When I'm in New York, would love to meet in person. We're doing it. Don't you yeah, worry. We're doing it. Even when you're in London. <laughs> I love how many inspiring people I'm getting to meet by these conversations I get to share with you here on my podcast. It's just been incredible. You can follow Colby Sharma at Colby Sharma Official on IG. And when this podcast drops as a live premiere at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday on my YouTube channel, The Real Lisa Ann, I'll make sure all the links are there for you so you can follow and support Colby. You can learn about his project, the Curveball Newsletter, as well as the Scouting Report. Now that we've got to that, let's get to this. It's time for the mailbag. If you want to be a part of the mailbag, ask me a question, give me a suggestion, send it to asklisaann at gmail.com. First question right here. I'm not getting as many weirdo questions. I guess they're giving up on me. They're giving up on me because they don't listen to my podcast and know that I answer them in a delightfully funny way. Or they're giving up on me because I don't respond back. But that's not what Ask Lisa Ann at Gmail is for. It's for mailbag. It's for great questions like this one right here that came in from Joshua. And Joshua asks me, hi, Lisa Ann. What is your life's biggest regret? and your greatest accomplishment. I look forward to listening to your show, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you as a listener and as a emailer who sends a great question in a well-written email. I kind of feel like regrets are, when I look at a visual of the word regrets, I look at an eraser. If you remember when you were in school and there was the big chalkboard and teacher would go up there with this big eraser and clean off the eraser. The reason I look at regrets like an eraser is because a regret is something that you kind of want to erase from your life. But at the same time, when we erase something from our life, it's like taking a link out of a chain. It's just going to fall apart. Every step we've taken 
whether it was great or whether it sucked, was part of the journey that we're on. And I love what Colby says in his book, The Curveball, about adversity, our teacher. Adversity can be our greatest teacher. So to sit down and make a list of regrets to me is is just defeating, right? It's just pointless. There's nothing I've done. I've had good days and bad days, of course. But without the bad days, you wouldn't celebrate the good days. And so do I say there's something in my life that I want to erase? No, because everything got me right here in your ear having this conversation right now. And there's high and low points, but I don't want to erase those low points. I don't want to erase those mistakes from my life, from my identity, because those low points and those mistakes were my greatest teachers. Those were my greatest turning point moments. Those were my curveballs. Second part of the question is greatest accomplishment. Um, my greatest accomplishment is my friendships. I have some longstanding friendships that I'm so incredibly proud of and that I value. I have some newer friendships that I celebrate and cherish and look forward till there's 30 years between us. But friendships and and some of the working relationships I have, and I'll throw out just the letter K right here, who will hear this and go, aw, uh, because just letter K edits my podcast and all of my work, and we create fun YouTube content together. But the relationship that I have with just letter K is so powerful. Uh, we work so well together like teammates. Um, we also ask each other for advice on different things. K has brought me into things that my generation doesn't really understand and has allowed me to have a space. And I, I just signed K's book. I sent her a copy of my book, and I said, K, Thank you for allowing me to see the world through a different lens. And that's really my friendship with Kay. So I would, I, I, the, my greatest accomplishments for sure are the relationships that I've been able to keep going, to build, to grow, to cherish, to have, to fall back on at times when needed, to laugh with, to think of, to my best friends sent me this necklace that says smile, uh, because they were so ecstatic over my second book. Um, just the celebration, the romancing, but accomplishments to me are the relationships I've, I've built. I often say the only true currency we have in life is our friendships, our relationships, whether it's your family, your friends, what have you, but that is our true currency because when we no longer are here, when our body is no longer part of our life, our memory is part of our life, it's going to be those great relationships that you had that keep you alive because we don't really die, though we lose our body as, as a vessel. If you remember, Coot Blackson shared this theory and I really fell into it. You're building a legacy that people are always going to remember. And that legacy is going to be the most powerful through the relationships that you've built. So Josh, thank you for the awesome question. We've got another one right here, and it says, Hello, I'm Hurston from Bulgaria. I am your fan as actress, woman, and person. If you could go back in time, a lot of time machine conversation right here, right now, would you start porn again, porn again, and would you advise girls today to take this path? 
So the time machine talks will get me right back to where I was when I made this decision to get in the adult industry. I had three goals in my life at that time. Those very simple goals that I wrote down at 16 years old, the three things I wanted. I didn't care about anything else in the world except these three things. These three things were to have financial freedom, to travel and see the world, and to make my own schedule. Those were the three ways that I was going to control my life. And getting into porn enabled me to do that. It also enabled me to save for my future to allow me to make even better decisions when I was older. But as for advising other young performers, male, female, gender neutral, to get into the industry, it's different because everybody is different. There's a lot of temptations in the environment. And luckily, I was so focused on my goals. I would rather be traveling and seeing the world than partying. That's not the same for everyone. I brought a friend from Pennsylvania that I knew for years uh, out because she had decided she wanted to get in the industry. And in a very short period of time, she was hanging out with all the wrong people and doing all the wrong things. And I was like, yo, this isn't a good fit for you. Like, you're about the lifestyle. I'm about the life. I'm trying to create a life. You're living this lifestyle, which means it's just going to be a vicious cycle. You're not going to save your money. You're not going to build good contacts. So it's something that has to be so specific. If someone chooses to get into the industry, it has to be so specific and they have to be so strong-minded to also not fall into those temptations, to know what their purpose is and why they're doing it. And yes, it can be very fun, but still a business. You still have to stay on top of your money, your taxes, your expenses, your things, your health, your presence, your look. You have to take care of your so many things that go into it. So it's a lot more work than what people see on a tube site. And I don't think all of that work is discussed and really understood. Sure, it's great money, but there's a lot of sacrifice that you make, whether it's your friendships, your relationships, your family. A lot of people are affected by this decision. And that's probably why I feel that my greatest accomplishments are my friendships is because it is so much harder coming from this walk of life to have such solid friendships. It's so different. I have so many people come to me and say like, I can't make friends outside of the industry. How do I do this? I want to have different friends. There's a lot of challenges. So it's not that I would not advise someone to get into the industry, but I would like to know a lot about them before I pointed them in that direction what their intention was, what their goals were, how they plan to save their money, how they plan to communicate with their loved ones, their family, their friends, how they prepared to protect themselves safety-wise because there's a lot of unsafe scenarios that come out of the fandom and the obsession and how people feel about you, that, that accessibility. So If I could turn back time, I'd probably do the exact same thing because I love where I am right now. I love the life that I've created and it took years of of hard work and dedication and patience and, and knowing that I would get there and here I am. So if I change something, I may be working folding clothes at Macy's or something. Who knows, right? We just don't know. Or maybe I've been married with 10 kids. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I like where I'm at right now. Very content in this situation. More than content. I'm happy. So I wouldn't change a thing. And my last question right here, don't forget, if you want to be a part of the mailbag, asklisaann at gmail.com. I would love to answer your question. Last one. This is from Richard, and this is a great question. 
Hey, Lisa, I'm just wondering if you have any tips on how I can become better at communicating with others. Also, how can I get the motivation to stick with my life goals? Thanks. I hope you received this email and I look forward to hearing from you. Kind regards. I hope that Richard knows that I'm not going to respond to him, but I'm responding right here, right now. And hopefully he listens to the Lisa Ann experience. The best advice I was ever given when I asked someone about being a better communicator was to be a better listener. The better listener you are, the better communicator you are, because you actually study when you're listening. You actually study enough to know your counterpart, what they've been up against, what brings them joy, what their favorite things are, where they're from. There's nothing worse than going on a date and telling somebody so much about you and knowing what you told them. And then later on in conversations, realizing they didn't listen. They didn't hear any of that. They don't know anything about you, even though you tried to give it all to them. You put on a platter, but they didn't listen. So being a better listener is a great way to become a better communicator. There was a book that I read that I loved called Difficult Conversations. You can find it on Amazon. It is really a great book about the art of communication and also communication in awkward and difficult situations. The second part of this is how can I get the motivation to stick with my goals? Well, Richard, you should go back and listen to Crystal Stokes. She was an episode a couple of weeks ago right here. You can find it just searching the podcast. She talks a lot about small goals, setting those small goals, being accountable. So I'm going to give you some examples. For myself, I knew when I wanted to write my first book that if I wrote down I wanted to write a book, that would be one thing. But if I wrote on my Facebook, I was going to write a book and told the world that would be another because now I'm accountable for writing that book. For you, I would suggest you go to your friends. You have some small goals you're trying to set, things you want to do. Share with your friends, your innermost circle, what you're trying to achieve and ask them to check in on you. Have yourself be made accountable through the people that you look up to, admire, respect, love, care for, value their opinions. But writing it down and putting it on the refrigerator. I want to walk 20 minutes a day, five days a week. Put it on the refrigerator a couple weeks and then up it to 30. But you are responsible to live the best life you can create for yourself. And sometimes I notice that people are searching for someone else to push them and make them do it. You got to push yourself. So I hope that Richard goes back and listens to Crystal Stokes. Also, there's life coaches for a reason. And maybe Richard is in that category of the perfect fit to get a life coach of his own to help him stick with goals, set goals, not only set them, but stick with them. It takes three weeks to build a habit. So if you're trying to achieve a goal, you know that you have to go past that four-week spot before it becomes a habit that you're working to achieve this goal. Create a habit that you are working to achieve the goal. That's it for the mailbag. And for all of you, join in, askleesaann at gmail.com, 2 p.m. Friday afternoon on my YouTube channel, The Real Lisa Ann. We watch the live component of the conversation, chat it up in the chat room, which is a ton of fun, great way to really extend the story, uh, ask more questions. Go over to IG right now and follow Colby Sharma 
official. Get your hands on this book, a nice, easy cover to cover read. I know you can do it. Inspiring sports story right here that is going to teach you all about diversity and how it can be our best teacher, how to stay focused. And it was a great conversation. I enjoy just like I enjoy this weekly time with all of you. I thank you so much. If you're a new listener, please subscribe, rate, review my podcast. Also feel free to join the room. Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time on my YouTube channel, The Real Lisa Ann. The Life Back is out there right now. Go to shoplisaann.com. Get your hands on a copy of my second book. If you haven't read my first, I say go for that one first. Either way, I appreciate all of you. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation today. The mailbag, all the fun. Super Bowl is around the corner. And I'm very excited, just like I'm excited to be here with all of you every week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my guest for making the time, Colby Sharma. The Curveball is the book. And thank you to all of you for listening to another episode of The Lisa Ann Experience. 